Okay, we're we're on. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say, uh, yeah, it kind of sucks. I had these videos. And I made it that at that time when I, I think that I was kind kind of getting artificial swag flow back again, you know. And uh, but they were they were Facebook lives, but then I deleted them because I thought that other people could see them. I didn't want people to see them, but I, I, they couldn't see them, so I was just impulsive about it, you know. I'm like, dude, why did I delete those? You know, but whatever. Any thoughts? Yeah, you've mentioned that yesterday. Yeah, but it does. No. Whatever. There's nothing you can do about it, but yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Well, do you want to listen to a Sadhguru audiobook? Yeah, whatever. Sanskrit presents Inner Engineering, A Yogi's Guide to Joy by Sadhguru, as read by the author. And now, part one. Inner Engineering, A Yogi's Guide to Joy. As Robert Heinlein says, one man's magic is another man's engineering. The four-letter word. Once it happened, a customer walking into Shankaran Pillai's pharmacy saw a man outside hugging a lamppost, his eyeballs rolling wildly. When he walked in, he asked, who is that man? What's wrong with him? Shankaran Pillai replied, unperturbed, oh, that guy, he's one of my customers. But what is the matter with him? He wanted something for whooping cough. I gave him... And he does it? <laughs> no, no, <I'll... laughs> no, nothing. I was, I was gonna say though, it's it's possible that um, if I can download my, I'm downloading it right now. See if I can download my files. It might uh, get have my deleted files too. So we'll see. Yeah. All right. Ready? The appropriate medicine. What did you give him? A box of laxatives. I made him take it right here. Laxatives for whooping cough. Why on earth would you give him that? Oh come on! You saw him. You think he dares to cough anymore? Shankaran Pillai's box of laxatives is emblematic of the type of solutions being peddled all over the world today for those in search of well-being. It is the fundamental reason the term guru has become a four-letter word. Hey, does it? No, it's very interesting. <laughs> Everybody's looking for a, a solution that can't possibly work because it's addressing the symptom rather than the problem. Mm. Unfortunately, we have forgotten the real meaning of the word. Can you give an example of that? Any thoughts? Well, see, it's, it's like this whole coronavirus thing. See, the problem is we've, we've um, messed up our system to such a, a point that the, the virus can't do its job <coughs> and it it only it only results in uh, becoming harmful rather than beneficial because we we've we've been trying to solve problems that didn't exist with all kinds of medication and bad food etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah and then uh i was thinking too like there's all these he healers who are themselves like you know kind of crazy 
So they're trying they're trying to heal people with interpersonal methods, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's another that's another thing too. Trying to deal with the causes rather than the meaning. Guru literally means dispeller of darkness. Gu is darkness. Ru means dispeller. The function of the guru, contrary to popular belief, is not to teach, indoctrinate, or convert. The guru is here to throw light on dimensions beyond your sensory perceptions and your psychological drama. Dimensions that you are currently unable to perceive. The guru is here fundamentally to throw light on the very nature of your existence. There are many spurious and dangerously misleading teachings in vogue in our world today. Be in the moment is one of them. The assumption is that you could be somewhere else if you wanted. How is that even possible? The present is the only place that you can be. It does it. No. Is that the idea of like there is here? Yeah, it could be. If you live, you live in this moment. If you die, you die in this moment. This moment is eternity. How are you going to escape it, even if you try? Right now, your problem is that you suffer what happened 10 years ago and you suffer what may happen the day after tomorrow. Both are not living truths. They are simply a play of your memory and imagination. Does this mean then that in order to find peace, you must annihilate your mind? Not at all. It simply means you need to take charge of it. Your mind carries the enormous reserves of memory and the incredible possibilities of the imagination that are the result of an evolutionary process of millions of years. If you can use it when you want and put it aside when you don't, the mind can be a fantastic tool. To shun the past and neglect the future is to trivialize this wonderful faculty. So be in the moment becomes a crippling psychological restriction. It denies our existential reality. It does it. Yeah, basically, he's he's saying if if you if you're living in the past, in talking about the past in order to solve the present problem, or if you're worrying about living in the future and worrying about how to prevent something to happen in the future, you're in deep trouble. That's but that's not what he said. He said the exact opposite. He was saying that people who say live in the moment and don't don't go in the past and don't talk about the future, that's what's crippling. Because now you're not allowed to go go through these, you're not allowed to utilize, you know, what your your brain is you made to be able to go to the past and go to the future and stuff. He said the exact opposite of that. No, he didn't. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna rewind. He said you need to he said you need to go back to the past but you need to do it for for a reason that works not not just to rehearse the past not just to live in the imagination yeah, well, well i think that that an important thing is like you know with with mom and dad like we they they were told they they, they misused it yeah it's okay for me to talk about okay i want to talk to dad but to say like oh there's no talking about the past well, then that, that this allows a normal relationship. I want to be able to talk about something, you know, but, but, but they have other agendas and, and they have immaturity issues. You know what I mean? Anybody thought that? No, I'm not going to get into that soap opera. Your oh, you ego gets too true? involved. You don't think that's true? Or? I, I don't want to discuss that because your ego gets too involved. 
you know, I'd like to be able to talk to, you know, talk to mom and dad, but an important thing with having a normal relationship is you're allowed to talk about what you want to talk about. If you live, you live in this moment. If you die, you die in this moment. This moment is eternity. How are you going to escape it, even if you try? Right now, your problem is that you suffer what happened 10 years ago, and you suffer what may happen the day after tomorrow. Both are not living truths. They are simply a play of your memory and imagination. Does this mean, then, that in order to find peace, you must annihilate your mind? Not at all. It simply means you need to take charge of it. Your mind carries the enormous reserves of memory and the incredible possibilities of the imagination that are the result of an evolutionary process of millions of years. <coughs> if you can use it when you want and put it aside when you don't, the mind can be a fantastic tool. Like, I think that, you're, that you guys are assuming that I'm, like, suffering from the past. I'm not. I discovered the theory of everything. That's It's a big thing, you know? And, and the thing is, I'm not suffering from any past. I just want to be able to have a normal conversation with dad, you know? But if you can't talk about the past or you can't talk about, you know, all these, like, restrictions and conditions are just, it's not helpful. But it's due to immaturity issues on mom and dad's part where they misinterpreted what you taught. But. To shun the past and neglect the future is to trivialize this wonderful faculty. So be in the moment becomes a crippling psychological restriction. It denies our existential reality. Do only one thing at a time has become another. See, like this idea, like shun the past, like what are you talking about? Just act normal. And he doesn't? I said I'm not going to discuss the soap opera. Why would you do only one thing when the mind is a phenomenal multidimensional machine capable of handling several levels of activity all at once? Instead of harnessing and learning to ride the mind, why would you want to obliterate it? When you can know the heady joy of mental action, why would you opt for lobotomy? For he doesn't? No. He's saying like, you know, like he's making fun of like the Buddhist spiritualist people who, you know, basically say these things like, yeah, just, just you know, do one thing at a time. Okay, that's cool. But you could also do two things at a time. Like I could play basketball and listen to an audio book at the same time. I have that capacity and I can get two things done at one timer. Yeah. Obviously there's that idea that, or, you know, I, and, and, and you could, you could think about the past and you could do these things. Like, of course, like don't be opposed to that stuff. Cause that's ego oriented and that's not helpful. Um, but you, you see what I'm saying? Like, like the, these, the, the memorized like spiritual things like yeah just be in the moment just be the, these these platitudes and these cliches like any thoughts on that no voluntary cabbage hood yeah it's, it's true when you're in the zone yeah you 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 lose yourself whatever okay but but he's also saying like the other phrase that has hardened into cliche through overuse is positive thinking when it is oversimplified and used as some quick fix mantra, positive thinking becomes a way of whitewashing or sugarcoating your reality. When you are unable to process real-time information and control your psychological drama, you seize on positive thinking as a tranquilizer. Initially, it may seem to imbue your life with new confidence and optimism, but it is essentially limited. In the long term, if you deny or amputate one part of reality, it gives you a lopsided perspective of life. It doesn't. No, that's good. Yeah, it's true. Like you know, the same thing here. Like with with oh yeah, only 
I only want to hear your positive stuff. But what about the, the, you know, the life isn't just like positive stuff. Sometimes it's important to to act natural and act normal. And I, I want to just, you know, talk to dad and say, Hey, listen, you know, when, when I played basketball, when I was younger, I hurt my left leg and the, and the physical therapist said that you could have easily just taken me to a physical therapist and they would have easily fixed my leg with, with physical therapy. It would have been done, but he never did. He just gave me Motrin. And he, and he also told me to stretch wrong. The, the opposite of how they teach you to stretch. It's like, and I'm not mad about that, but then, but then I'm thinking like, okay, but what about the, like the shootaway machine? It's not that big of a deal. If I could just tell him, listen, the shootaway machine messed up my shot. Can I show you the videos and show you what happened and everything? And, and cause you want to see, it's, it's not that I'm stuck in the past. You're, you're the one stuck in the past. You want to believe that I was a bad guy, that I was just I had mental issues. No, I did not have mental issues. You got to shoot a machine that messed up my shot. And do you, you, so you're the one stuck in the past. So I came, can we look at this and then move on? But he doesn't, you know, he wasn't, wouldn't do that. But, you know, the, the things like, oh, yeah, they misuse that stuff. People misuse spiritual things for their own agendas and, and for their own ways of, you know, immature motivations. And you see that with the people who are like the same thing with like the black people. Oh yeah. Don't, don't talk about the past. Oh, just be positive. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Obviously people can, can transcend all that stuff, but also you have to, you have to take into consideration the realities of this, of the, of reality and not try to neglect them and, and, and pretend like things are, and that's, that's the dangers of, of quote unquote fake spirituality. That's still really ego oriented. Any thoughts of that? No, we're like we're like they people misuse what, what you taught and i feel like it's easy to do that or maybe even you misuse what you taught but right then there is the time honored business of exporting human well-being to the heavens but everything worked out great because i discovered theory of everything so i'm claiming the core of the universe is love love is a human possibility if you need a refresher course you can take lessons from your dog he is full of love you don't have to go <coughs> to outer space to know love all these puerile philosophies come from the assumption that existence is human-centric. This single idea has robbed us of all sense and made us commit some of the most inhuman and heinous crimes throughout history. These continue to perpetuate themselves to this very day. As a it doesn't. No. Yeah, that's nothing. Like, like the spiritual people be like, "Oh yeah, everything is love. It's all love." But what what does that mean? Like. This is all like semantics. What do you think about that? Any thoughts there? Yeah, it can be dead. It's trying to fly in with somebody else's feathers. I have no doctrine to teach, no philosophy to impart, no belief to propagate. And this is because the only solution for all the- But then I don't want to negate love because like, yeah, it, it would. It, it's, it's nice to be a, a respectful, you know, person. But you would say, well, there is no person. It's it's all one. Okay, a respectful presence or whatever. But any thoughts on that? No. That plague humanity is self transformation. Self transformation is not incremental self improvement. Self transformation is achieved not by morals or ethics or attitudinal or behavioral changes, but by experiencing the limitless nature of who we are. Self transformation means nothing of the old remains. It is a dimensional shift in the way you perceive and experience life. Knowing this is yoga. One who embodies this is a yogi. One who guides you in this direction is a guru. My aim in this book is to help make joy your constant companion. To make that happen, 
this book offers you not a sermon, but a science, not a teaching, but a technology, not a precept, but a path. It is now time to start exploring that science, working the technology, walking the path. On this yeah, that's, that's very good. See, he's saying what we've been talking about. It, it's, <laughs> not, it's not a self-improvement project. It's a process of, of waking up to what we don't know we know. What's wrong with self-improvement? Well, you, there is no such thing as self-improvement. Because there's no self? It's only any illusion. How, how can you improve something that doesn't exist? Yeah, does it? No. But the roadmap, the inner dimension is uncharted terrain. If you're exploring terrain that is unfamiliar to you, isn't it better to have signposts? You could find your own way, but who knows? It could take lifetimes. When you are on unfamiliar terrain, it is just sensible to take directions. On one level, that is all a guru is, a live roadmap, GPS, guru pathfinding system. And that is why <laughs> exists. That That's good. Yeah, what, what does that mean? Well, he's your GPS. See, it's just taking off from your your um, electronic te technology. So what does that mean? Well, did you need a, a Sherpa? Yeah, does it? No. Letter word. Just to make things doubly easy for you, I thought I would make it eight. Sadhguru, a note to the reader. There are many ways to approach a book of this kind. One way would be to plunge directly into practice, to take a headlong dive into do-it-yourself mode. But then this book does not claim to be a self-help manual. It has a strong practical orientation, but there is more to it than that. Another way would be to turn theoretical but this book is not an exercise in scholarship either. I have never read any of the yogic treatises in their entirety. I never had to. I come from inner experience. It was only late in my life when I skimmed through some of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, those significant yogic texts, that I realized that I had a certain access to their inner core. This is because I approached them experientially rather than theoretically to reduce a sophisticated science. It does it. Yeah, he, he he didn't try to try to memorize anything. He just spent his attention exploring. Yeah, and, and, but I like the idea. Like he experientially, like he actually is like he. It's like it's like the reason why I understood a lot of things because of basketball. Like I know because I was ex, I was considered the best basketball player in the nation. A lot of people don't know that. You, you don't even know that, but you know it's it with, with the. With the you told me. You've told no. you've told me that five hundred times. No, no, no. But what I'm saying is, I I have <laughs> an expert knowledge of that, and I can extrapolate that to other things. You know, but it doesn't. But you, you didn't see. No. Me. Yeah, sadly, you know, but, but yeah. So, but the thing is, like, yeah. So use experience, but then, but then at the same time, you 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 said stuff about like that. You want to ex transcend experience based thinking. And you want to, you know, that there's no such thing as a spiritual experience because, you know, the flow is beyond experience. Like any thoughts of that? 
Yeah, well, see, he's, he's saying he became aware of it. When he says he experienced it, his own experience, he's talking about he became aware of it on his own, not, not as intellectual um, conclusion. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if I, like, I don't I don't know if I like your explanation of that because the reason why I'm saying that is because it makes me feel like you're you're opposing experience when to me that seems like a little ego based. Like when I like kind of like your idea before that you kind of mentioned that yeah when, when you are in the flow you do experience but you're just not grasping onto the experiences you're not like holding on to it and attached and you're you're more in like in a fluid state so maybe there is experience but it's like you do have emotions you do but you're not just but you're not you know getting caught up in it any thoughts on that yeah it could be you just want to know my thoughts so i give you my thoughts i'm not saying they're they're true no no i know but i'm just i'm trying to get deeper understanding i'm not saying you're wrong i'm not saying you're true or wrong i'm just trying to get deeper understanding it doesn't no so like yeah to deny experience we're always experiencing you know but but then maybe in the flow it's just like a, a just a, a liminal like a, a low level of experience of experience whereas there's more where, where you're, you're just like in the flow where you're not <clears throat> being uh um, entrenched in the experience but you know you allow the emotions and the thoughts to to happen in a, in a most effective most perfect pure way like any thoughts on that yeah well that's exactly what i mean that they're they're always occurring you just he's saying he didn't rely on on that like yoga to a mere doctrine is just as well, you know he, he was saying he did he said he, he'd lose his experience rather than his you know just theoretical like any thoughts on it no you see what i'm saying yeah so what do you think about that no, I have no thoughts. Tragic as turning it into a cardiovascular workout. And so this book has finally been divided. Are 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 you are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. The two sections. The first maps the terrain, the second offers you a way to navigate it. What you're about to read in this section is not a display of academic expertise. Instead, this section seeks to offer a series of fundamental insights, insights that lay the foundation or bedrock on which the architecture of the more practice-oriented second section is built. These insights are not tenets or teachings, and they are most definitely not conclusions. They are best seen as signposts on a journey that can be made by no one but you. They are core perspectives that have emerged as a consequence of the state of heightened awareness that has been mine since a life-transforming experience 35 years ago. The section begins on an autobiographical note. This is so you know something about the authorial company you will be keeping should you choose to read the rest of the book. The section then unfolds into an examination of certain basic ideas, exploring Along the way, some commonly used and misused terms such as destiny. Yeah, because I think there's a, there's a big danger in like denying experience and like even like denying feelings. And we know that. So, so yeah, I want to be able to use the feelings and stuff. 
but maybe the flow is like utilizing them in the most perfect way. Like any thoughts of that? Yeah. Yeah. To, to like uh, deny to, to deny them completely is just like no, but 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 to recognize, I guess it would be the most perfect feelings where you have a, a a very comprehensive schema, in in a very functioning, and high level, and then you have the feelings and stuff, but you just utilize them in the most harmonious, perfect way, and that would be the flow. And so, so to like deny the feelings, no. To deny the thoughts, never, no. Like any thoughts that? Yeah, it would never be helpful to deny them. Responsibility, well-being and even more fundamentally, yoga. One of the chapters in this section closes with the sadhana. The word sadhana in Sanskrit. And I think that's kind of like the, what the Hare Krishna is about, you know, a little bit, because, you know, they, they sometimes have ecstasy where they're like chanting Hare Krishna and they'll get into ecstatic trances and stuff like that. And yeah, maybe they lose themselves too. And, and that is a part of the flow, losing themselves. But a, a part of that before that, preceding that, is the getting into the deep feelings and emotions and, and even sentimentality and, and emotionality perhaps but then they transcend it to the pure spiritual like any thoughts of that yeah means a device or a tool these tools for exploration offer a chance for you as a reader to put the ideas discussed in those pages into action and see if the insights work for you these sadhanas will recur much more frequently in section two i'm often told by people that i seem to be a modern guru my response to that observation is that I am neither modern nor ancient, neither new age nor old age. I am contemporary, and that is how every guru has always been. Only scholars, pundits, and theologians are capable of being ancient or modern. A philosophy or belief system can be old or new, but gurus are always contemporary. A guru... It does it? Yeah, it's good. It's kind of like, it, it makes you think of like when you would use a, the metaphor of software and hardware. That's a very contemporary metaphor, right? Yeah, that, that's the reason I use that, yes. As I said earlier, is someone who dispels darkness, someone who opens the door for you. If I promise to open a door for you tomorrow, or I opened it for someone else yesterday, it is of no relevance. Only if I open the door for you today is it of some value. So the truth is timeless, but the technology and the language are always contemporary. If they weren't, they would deserve to be discarded. No tradition, however time-honored, deserves to live on as anything more than a museum piece if it has outlived its relevance. So while I will be exploring an ancient technology in this book, it is also a technology that is flawlessly state-of-the-art. Personally, I am not interested in offering anything new. I am only interested in what is true. But I hope the following section will offer you some moments when the two converge. For at those junctures, when the conditions are right, when an insight is articulated <coughs> from a place of inner clarity, when it meets a reader at the right moment of receptivity, an age-old truth turns explosively alchemical. All of a sudden, it is fresh, alive, radiantly new, as if uttered and heard for the very first time in history. It doesn't. No. Yeah, like that magical event when, when somebody says something and it's like it's saying something that you know to be true, but it says it in a in a in a fresh, you know, powerful manner. Like any thoughts of that. Yeah. 
Yeah, when it explodes in your own awareness. Then I lost my sense. Then I was a man. I only went up the hill as I had time to kill. But kill I did, all that was me and mine. With me and mine gone, lost all my will and skill. Here I am, an empty vessel, enslaved to the divine will and infinite skill. In the city of Mysore, there is a tradition. If you have something to do, you go up Chamundi Hill. If you have nothing to do, you go up Chamundi Hill. If you fall in love, you go up Chamundi Hill. If you fall out of love, you have to go up Chamundi Hill. One afternoon, I had nothing to do, and I had recently fallen out of love, so I went up Chamundi Hill. I parked my motorcycle and sat on an outcrop of rock about two-thirds of the way uphill. This was my contemplation rock. It had been for some time. Hey, does it? Yeah. Sounds like a good meditation practice. Now, a purpleberry tree and a stunted banyan had put down tenacious roots into a deep fissure in the rock surface. A panoramic view of the city unfolded before me. Until that moment, in my experience, my body and mind was me, and the world was out there. But suddenly, I did not know what was me and what was not me. My eyes were still open, but the air that I was breathing, the rock on which I was sitting, the very atmosphere around me, everything had become me. I was everything that was. I was conscious, but I had lost my senses. The discriminatory nature of the senses simply did not exist anymore. The more I say, the crazier it will sound, because what was happening was indescribable. What was me was literally everywhere. Everything was exploding beyond defined boundaries. Everything was exploding into everything else. It was a dimensionless unity of absolute perfection. My life is just that moment, gracefully enduring. When I returned to my normal senses, it felt as if just 10 minutes had elapsed. But a glance at my watch told me that it was 7.30 in the evening. Four and a half hours had passed. My eyes were open. The sun had set. It was dark. I was fully aware. But what I had considered to be myself until that moment had completely disappeared. I have never... It does. Yeah, see, he wasn't denying anything then. He just was aware of a totally different dimension or spectrum of awareness. It's denying itself is kind of an emotion, right? Or it does. Yeah, it's an intellectual enterprise. Being the theory kind. <coughs> and yet here I was at the age of 25 on a rock upon Chamundi Hill, so ecstatically crazy that the tears were flowing and my entire shirt was wet. Being peaceful and happy had never been an issue for me. I had lived my life the way I wanted. I had grown up in the 60s, the era of Beatles and Blue Jeans. Read my share of European philosophy and literature, Dostoevsky, Camus, Kafka, and the like. But here I was, exploding into a completely different dimension of existence, of which I knew nothing drenched in a completely new feeling. 
an exuberance, a blissfulness that I had never known or imagined possible. When I applied my skeptical mind to this, the only thing my mind could tell me was that maybe I was going off my rocker. Still, it was so beautiful that I knew that I didn't want to lose it. I have never quite been able to describe what happened that afternoon. Perhaps the best way to put it is that I went up and did not come down. I never have. I was born in Mysore, a pretty princely town in southern India. An erstwhile capital known for its hey, no. palaces and gardens. My father was a physician, my mother a homemaker. I was the youngest of four siblings. School bored me. I found sitting through class impossible because I could see that the teachers were talking about something that did not mean anything to their lives. Every day, as a four-year-old, I instructed my housekeeper, who accompanied me to school in the morning, to drop me off at the gates and not enter the building. As soon as she left, I would dart to the nearby canyon, which exploded with an incredible variety of life. I started simulating a vast personal zoo of insects. Hello? Were you laughing about it? Well, I was just chuckling at, at how how um, exploring began even at age four. Yeah. ...and snakes in bottles, obtained from my father's medicine cabinet. After a few months, when my parents discovered that I hadn't been attending school, however, they seemed singularly unimpressed by my biological explorations. My expeditions to the canyon were dismissed as messing about in a rainwater drain. Thwarted as I often was by what I regarded as a dull, unimaginative adult world, I simply turned my attention elsewhere and found something else to do. In later years, I preferred to spend my days roaming the forest, catching snakes, fishing, trekking and climbing trees. I would often climb to the topmost branch of a big tree with my lunchbox and water bottle. The swaying motion of the branches would transport me to a trance-like state where I was asleep but wide awake at the same time. I would lose all sense of time on this tree. I would be perched there from 9 o'clock in the morning to 4.30 in the evening when the bell rang and the school was done. Much later, I realized unknowingly I was becoming meditative at this stage of my life. Later, when I first instructed people into meditations, it was always swaying meditations. Of course, I hadn't even heard of the word meditation at this point. I simply liked the way trees swayed me into a state beyond sleep and wakefulness. I found the classroom dull, but I was interested in everything else. The way the world is made, the physical terrain of the land, the way people live. I used to take my bicycle along the mud roads in the countryside, riding a minimum of 35 kilometers a day. <coughs> By the time I came home, I would be caked with layers of mud and dust. I particularly enjoyed making mental maps of the terrain I traveled. I could just close my eyes when I was alone and redraw the entire landscape that I did seen that afternoon. Every single rock, every outcrop, every single tree. I was fascinated by the different seasons, the way the land changes when it is plowed, when the crops start germinating. That is what drew me to the work of Thomas Hardy. His descriptions of the English landscape, which go on for pages on end, I was doing the same thing in my head with the world around me. Even today, 
it is like a video in my head. If I want, I can replay the whole thing. Those years and years of awe that I observed with vivid clarity. I was a die-hard skeptic. Even at the age of five, when my family went to the temple, I had questions, lots of them. He does. You know, that's what he's saying. I'm just impressed with how early his explorations began. Do you want to, do you want to keep listening to this one or, or do you want to do the Don, Don Miguel uh, Ruiz's uh, four agreements? Oh, I love this. I, I love this guy. I'd love to have his, um, if you could send me um, information, I may order his book. I'd love to read that book. Okay. Uh, I, it might be online. I could send it to you. Hopefully too. All right. Yeah. Who is God? Yeah. Where is he? Up there? Where is up? A couple of years later, I had even more questions. In school, they said the planet was round. But if the planet was round, how did one know which way was up? No one ever managed to answer these questions, so I never entered the temple. This meant they were compelled to leave me in the custody of the footwear attendant outside. The attendant held me by the arm in a vice-like grip, pulling and tugging me around with him as he did his business. He knew that if he looked the other way, I did be gone. Later in my life, I couldn't help noticing that people coming out of restaurants always had more joyful faces than those coming out of temples. That intrigued me. And yet, what... He doesn't? <laughs> That's interesting. But the question is, do you want a joyful face or do you want to, you know, like people coming out of the temple, they might just have a contemplative face or something. I don't know. Any thoughts on it? But, but at the same time, no, I see, but you see, you don't have to be smiling to have a joy. Yeah, I see what you're saying. But yeah, also, you yeah, don't like, have to be smiling in order to have a joyful. Face. Probably a lot of people going to the temple, they're, they're, they have like a false, like reverence, like a, what, what, what's the word? Like they're, they're trying to seem. It's actually taking them out of the flow, maybe for a lot of them, you know, they're, they're, they're getting caught up in a um, deferential, like, um, false piety type of thing. It doesn't. That can happen. Yes. I, I was skeptic. Uh, I never identified with that label either. I had lots of questions about everything but never felt the need to draw any conclusions. I realized very early that I knew nothing about anything. That meant I ended up paying enormous attention to everything around me. If someone gave me a glass of water, I stared at it endlessly. If I picked up a leaf, I stared at it endlessly too. I stared at the darkness all night. If I looked at a pebble, the image would rotate interminably in my mind. So I would know it's every grain, it's every angle. I also saw that language was Did no more say, Was it? He, he was saying that when he looked at things, he, di he didn't look at it in order to draw a conclusion. See, he was already in, in that state of awareness where there was neither content nor container. He was just aware. Yeah, it's interesting because he just said, I, I realized that language is a conspiracy. So that's what he's probably, probably going to get at. Like they say, okay, that's a pebble, but you don't see the whole thing. Or like, oh, that guy's bipolar, or that guy's border, that woman's borderline. Then you don't see the whole thing. Like, any thoughts? Yeah, yeah, that's the same phenomena. Yeah. 
advised by human beings. If someone spoke, I realized they were only making sounds. I was making up the meanings. So I stopped making up meanings and the sounds became very amusing. I could see patterns pooing out of their mouths. If I kept staring. He does it. Yeah, he could see the meaning rather than the, the words. Yeah, well, he's, he's looking at the fundamental basis of things, which is kind of interesting because a lot of people, they do get, they, they, they look at the surface level and they get, they take it for granted. Okay, this is language and stuff, but he's looking at it in a deeper way. Like, okay, that is just sounds and it's all one stream of sounds. And it's really just, you know, like, how do we put that all together? Like, that's really, really deep question. Like, any thoughts on it? Yeah. If yeah, it's true it's that he really did this or, you know, he could just be he's saying this in hindsight and he could be using his current wisdom and trying to, um, imp, you know, impose that on his old self, but, but whatever. But any thoughts on it? But who's, who's no. to say, who, who's, why would we try to dismiss him? You know, any thoughts on it? Right. The person would just disintegrate and turn into a blob of energy. <laughs> then all that was left was patterns. In this state of absolute borderless ignorance, just about anything could hold my attention. My dear father, being a physician, began to think I needed psychiatric evaluation. In his words, this boy <laughs> It doesn't. Yeah. Something all the time. He's lost it. It has always seemed to me odd that the world does not realize the immensity of a state of I do not know. Those who destroy that state with beliefs and assumptions completely miss an enormous possibility, the possibility of knowing. They forget that I do not know is the doorway, the only doorway to seeking and knowing. My mother instructed me to pay attention. Hey, does it? <coughs> no. Okay, so that, that's an interesting paradox. Like, you, you don't know so that you can know. Like, you don't make assumptions, yeah. you don't, you know, so that you can get to the deepest essence. Like, any thoughts on it? Yeah. Yeah. To my teachers, and I did. I paid them the you kind of attention the they would never have received anywhere else. I had no idea what they were saying, but on those. But like when I look at things like the quadrant model, like the quadrant model does allow you to know deeper because it gives you a, a background and a scaffolding to which you can get deeper knowledge. Like, how would I understand all the, the the astrology unless I knew the quadrant pattern behind it, which gives me kind of a framework that I can now I can recognize the deepest essence. You know, so I was in this very high level of being uh, of awareness to get to that to that realization of the fundamental aspect of existence. You know, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Occasions when I attended class, I stared at them, unwavering and intense. For some reason, they did not find this trait particularly enduring. One particular teacher did everything possible to elicit a response from me, but when I remained silent and taciturn. He seized me by the shoulder and shook me violently. Either you are the divine or the devil, he declared. He added, and I think you are the later. I was not particularly insulted. Until that moment, I had approached everything. He does? No. Everything around me, from a grain of sand to the universe, with a sense of wonder. Is this thing like Biggie? Biggie had a song where he says, it's um, unbelievable, but then they mix unbelievable with evil, 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 believable, evil. And it's like, which one is it? Is it, is it like divine or evil? Like any thoughts of that? Yeah, yeah, well, 
Believing can be evil, yeah. Being no, slaving, not, imprisoning. No, no, it's not it's not about that. It's unbelievable or like is he unbelievable, like amazing, or is he evil? Is in as as Saguru was saying, am, am I is, is this guy divine or is he evil? Any thoughts on that? Mm. Or or like no. that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, or like Nietzsche. Nietzsche said something like, Yeah, either someone who could be in solitude is either a god or a demon or something. Like any thoughts on that? No. Or like the X-Men, like the, some people think that they're amazing, but some people think they're evil. Like any thoughts of that? And I remember you said something like it's it's idea of like if someone's at, at like a higher level of consciousness and people don't understand them, they could either interpret them or is evil or they can like worship them, right? Same thing happened with Jesus, right? Some people are like, oh, this guy's evil. Some people are like, oh no, this guy's a god. Like any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. It's a very common phenomenon. Had always been one certainty in this complex web of questions, and that was me. But my teacher's outburst triggered another line of inquiry. Who was I? <coughs> Human, divine, devil, what? I tried to stare at myself to find out. It did not work. So I closed my eyes and tried to find out. Minutes turned into hours, and I continued to sit, eyes closed. When my eyes were open, everything intrigued me. An ant, a leaf, clouds, flowers, darkness, just about anything. But to my amazement, I found that with my eyes closed, there was even more that grabbed my attention. The way the body pulses, the way different organs function, the various channels along which one's inner energy moves, the manner in which the anatomy is aligned, the fact that boundaries are limited to the external world. This exercise opened up the entire mechanics of being human before me. Instead of leading me, to a simplistic answer. It does. No. That's interesting meditative practice. That I was this or that, it gradually brought me to a realization that if I were willing, I could be everything. It wasn't about arriving at any conclusions. Even the certainty of me collapsed as a deeper sense of what it is to be a human being started opening up. From knowing myself as an autonomous person, this exercise melted me down. I became a nebulous being. Despite all my wild ways. Any thoughts, Zangab? No. Uh, can, can, can we do, uh, I, the reason why is I, I want to check out that, that Don Miguel Ruiz thing, because he, he, he this next chapter that we didn't get to, he talked about some interesting things. So can we, can we listen to that? Okay. Well, yeah, if you send me uh, um, yeah, I'll, I'll something to. Yeah, I could, I could look it up. Because right, right. yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to listen further to what he has to say because it's some very good stuff. Yeah. All right. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead with your next thing. first agreement is the most important one, and also the most difficult one to honor. It is so important that with just this first agreement, you will be able to transcend to the levels of existence I call heaven on earth. The first agreement is to be impeccable with the word. What do you think about that, Gabriel? Anything else? No. It sounds very simple, but it is very, very powerful. <coughs> Why your word? Your word is the power that you have to create. 
Your word is the gift that comes directly from the Most High. The Gospel of John in the Bible, speaking. It doesn't? No. Of the creation of the universe, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with the Most High, and the Word was the Most High. Through the Word, you express your creative power. It is through the Word. Regardless of what language you speak, your intent manifests through the Word. What you dream, what you feel, and what you really are will all be manifested through the Word. The Word is not just a sound or a written symbol. The Word is a force. It is the power you have. It doesn't? Yeah, he, he, uh, he's talking about the word rather than words. Mm. Have to express and communicate, to think, and thereby to create the events in your life. You can speak. What other animal on the plane can speak? The word is the most powerful tool you have. Seems like he is talking about speech, but it doesn't. Well, you see, it, it, it's it's uh, expressed or manifest in words, but he's talking about the word that that underlies or is expressed or manifest mm -hmm. in words. As human, it is the tool of magic. But like a sword with two edges, your word can create the most beautiful dream. Your word can destroy everything around you. One edge is the misuse of the word, which creates a living hell. The other edge is the impeccability of the word, which will only create beauty, love, <coughs> and heaven on earth. Depending upon how it is used, the word can set you free, or it can enslave you even more than you know. All the magic you possess is based on your word. Your word is pure magic, and misuse of your word is black magic. The word is so powerful that one word can change a life or destroy the lives of millions of people. Some years ago, one man in Germany, by the use of the word, manipulated a whole country of the most intelligent people. He led them into a world war with just the power of his word. And it doesn't? Yeah, see, I think I think what he's saying is it's the 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 intention that it, it's it's the attention where your attention and what your intention is is your word and it comes out in your words so when you use like hitler used particular words he used his words to express what he was paying attention to and what he was intending to create and that's what was destructive yeah does it yeah, at least that's that's my understanding of what he's saying. I don't know that that's true. He convinced others to commit ferocious acts of violence. He activated people's fear with the word. And like a big explosion, <clears throat> there was killing and war all around the world. All over the world, humans destroyed other humans because they were afraid of each other. Hitler's word, based on fear-generated beliefs and agreements, will be remembered for centuries. The human mind is like a fertile ground where seeds are continually being planted.
planted. The seeds are opinions, ideas, and concepts. You plant a seed, a thought, and it grows. The word is like a seed, and the human mind is so fertile. The only problem is that, too often, it is fertile for the seeds of fear. Every human mind is fertile, but only for those kinds of seeds it is prepared for. What is important is to see which kind of seeds our mind is fertile for and to prepare it to receive the seeds of love. It doesn't? Yeah. Yeah, the seed, the idea, the intention, and that to which we're paying attention, that's the seed, and that will... You can't harvest good by sowing bad seed. Take the example of Hitler. He sent out all those seeds of fear, and they grew very strong and beautifully achieved massive destruction. Seeing the awesome power of the word, we must understand what power comes out of our mouths. One fear or doubt planted in our mind can create an endless drama of events. One word is like a spell, and humans can use the word like black magicians, thoughtlessly putting spells on each other. Every human is a magician, and we can either put a spell on someone with our word, or we can release someone from a spell. We cast spells all the time with our opinions. An example. I see a friend, and I give him an opinion that just popped into my mind. I say, hmm, I see that color in your face and people who are going to get cancer. He listens to the word, and if he agrees, he will have cancer in less than one year. During our domestic... It doesn't? No. Our parents and siblings gave their opinions about us without even thinking. We believed these opinions. We lived in fear. <laughs> like not... Maybe think of like when, when you said that kid, like you're, you're, you're a good reader or something. But nothing against that. But remember, uh, they were saying like, do not compliment because if you compliment now, the kid thinks like, oh, okay, I, now I want to be looking at, looked at as a good reader as opposed to someone who works hard. So in like that book by Dwick or whatever, she says, uh, the growth mindset, like instead of saying that, say like, oh, you're working really hard or something, because then that encourages the right, you know, motivations and it, it makes a kid work harder because he could thinks that working hard is important and not being good, like any thoughts of that? Yeah, that's good. It's a very important distinction. <clears throat> being good at swimming or sports or writing. Someone gives an opinion and says, look, this girl is ugly. The girl listens, believes she is ugly, and grows up with the idea that she is ugly. I was listening to this uh, audio book where they're saying like how, how it's important to ch try to change the way when you're trying to get someone to do something. I forget, I forget what he was saying exactly, but something about like, it's a book called Atomic Habits. And there's another book that I read. Fuck, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, where they were talking about it. I'd like to remember the name of it so I could look into it, but frick. Anyways, it was talking about how, like, if you want someone to uh, buy your thing, you want to change the way that they think of themselves. So, like, you, you, uh, it's like the foot in the door technique. I forget the exact thing, but like, you give someone, um, I, f I forget how they explained it, but you basically, Try to get the person to think like, okay, I'm the type of person who gives 
to, to this thing. Like I, I am, so you change a person's identity, you make him change his identity and then he'll be more likely to do it. Like you want to change a person's identity. Like where he says like, oh yeah, I'm the giving type of person or, oh yeah, I'm the type of person. I, I am a, I am a giver or I am a uh, intellectual. Like you change their identity. You have to do that. And then that's important. Like any thoughts of that? I, yeah. forgot, I forget the examples that they gave for that. But any thoughts of that? No. Like you, you change their, their being, like their identity. Right, right? It doesn't matter how beautiful she is. As long <laughs> as she has that agreement, she will believe that she is ugly. That is the spell she is under. By hooking our attention, the word can enter our mind and change a whole belief for better or for worse. Another example, you may believe you are stupid and you may have believed this for as long as you can remember. Agreement can be very tricky. Calling you to do a lot of things just to ensure that you are stupid. You may do something and think to yourself, I wish I was smart. Must be stupid or I wouldn't have done that. Goes in hundreds of different directions getting hooked just that one belief in our own stupidity then one day someone hooks your attention using the word and lets you know that you are not stupid you believe what the person says and make a new agreement as a result you no longer feel or act stupid a whole spell is broken just by the power of the word conversely yeah that's clearly what that book was you're referring to that's what they're talking about yeah, but it was something different though too. It, it, it was different in that, like, by getting someone to do like an action, he thinks, "Oh, I'm the type of person who gives. I'm a giver," because he like he, he gave like a little bit. So then, then you come to him like a week later, and then he gives again. And after, I forget like those like a bill. I forget the, the exact experiments they did, but you you make the person change his like, yeah. But yeah, I guess that's a kind of example. But they, they, it was more complex than that. But and it doesn't. Like change um, no. Like change your identity, but 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 then you talk about like in the flow, you you lose your identity, right? But also, is it all could also be important to and change to change your identity, or at least what identity you adopt affects your your reality. Like any thoughts on it? No. And says yes, you are really the most stupid person I have ever met. The agreement will be reinforced and become. So I was thinking though that that if it is true, like what the what the book The Secret talks about and stuff, that thoughts create reality, that thoughts really affect reality. 
then yes, then then if words are connected to thoughts, if thoughts are like subvocalized speech, then yes, the word would be extremely powerful and almost like there'd be like a godlike aspect to it. And that maybe that's where the idea that God with his word created created reality comes from. It's kind of pointing to and emphasizing or reinforcing or or you know revealing that notion that the word, the thought does in a in a way, in a mystical way is is very intertwined with existence as Neville Goddard talks about like these these thoughts manifesting reality like any thoughts of that yeah but at the same time like but but where are you getting those thoughts from well reality is giving you those thoughts so which comes first and is a quadrant supreme you know the quadrant supreme like any thoughts of that yeah it could be but like the, the words and thoughts that you see you saying that they like create it and you see that a lot in like Kabbalah where okay, the the frequencies of the of the words and the letters, they they create a symphony, they create a harmony, and that same symphony harmony can be seen as seen in painting with the different frequencies of the different colors in juxtaposition and patterns. But you see that with words, and maybe just words is a great illustration of that. But <coughs> the idea of these different frequencies of sounds, where the top has a, a letter gematria four hundred, and this letter has this gematria of this, and they have different, you know, and, and there's there's codes within it. Like there's codes within existence, there's patterns, there's quadrants, you know, there, there, there's a higher structure, but with, with, the, with the frequencies in, in, in the, according to Kabbalah, like everything is like the top is, is that, that frequency and like everything is just frequencies, but just different frequencies of the one frequency, but the top is a different frequency of the Aleph is a different frequency, but they are, are all one frequency, they're, they're all frequencies, so they're all connected in one pattern, but there's also differentiation, like any thoughts of that? Yeah. That but, sounds very logical. But but then what you don't like about it is you don't like the idea of like words they they reduce reality. Like oh you say okay that person is a is a schizophrenic. Okay well now you just reduced him. Or oh that person's black now you just reduced him. But you also have to admit that there's some things that are more accurate. Like okay that's that's a that's a pigeon. Okay well I mean it's different saying like that that person's a schizophrenic and or, or that person's a black person and that that's a pigeon because there there's less of a of like degrees of freedom and and variability within pigeons than there is within black people. You know what I mean? So some words are more accurate in discerning di different things. Like any thoughts of that? Like to make the general yeah, yeah, more, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's very clear that some are more accurate, or perhaps it's that they're 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 more close to defining them as a verb rather than a noun. So you you could also say, oh, there there's a, a an event that's pigeoning. See, that's kind of a very awkward thing, but that's essentially closer to the truth. He's not a pigeon; he's pigeoning. But 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 you see what I'm saying? Like to make the generalization that all words are limiting and reducing. Okay, but some more than others, and maybe some are completely accurate, like a cork. I don't know. Any thoughts of that? Yeah. Like, yeah, that's what I say. It's it's closer to uh communicating that it's a verb rather than a noun. Or or, or like you Some, know. Uh-huh. What are you saying? Yeah. Uh, that that's my understanding that some names are closer to communicating the idea that it's a verb or rather like, than like, a noun. This, this is a water bottle. Did I just reduce this water bottle by saying that? 
or, or like, okay, but I could even get more, more uh, specific. This is a, a Nestle Pure Life water bottle and it has this geometry, but, but anyways, any, any thoughts on that? No. Like, okay, or, or, or this, this right here is a, is a quartz rock. It, it can tell you a lot more maybe than someone's than saying, okay, this person is white. Okay. Well, there might be more distinctions in, in, in variability within the white quote unquote demarcation categorization than the quartz rock. And yeah, there might even be some variability within the quartz rock and stuff. And, and, and that, that might reduce it a little bit, but still some words are more accurate in describing the thing. Like any thoughts that, or that's a hammer. No. But I mean, yeah, you, you can get in the details. Okay, yeah, there's a little bit of variability within hammers, but still, there's that form of the hammer, and and there, so maybe there there is like you know in the world of forms there is nouns. Maybe the there is no verbs. The idea, like I was saying, maybe maybe it is just there is no action. There is no it, it is all just nouns in the world of forms. And maybe yours is actually the opposite. You're saying it's all verbs, but maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's there is no there is no ing. There is no thing. There is no inging going on. Like God, I remember you said something like, "God is ising." Like the the burning bush is ising, but the idea is God didn't say I am ising. He said I am. So maybe there is no action. Maybe it is just the forms, and maybe it is just the nouns. Like any thoughts of that? Maybe. I doubt it, but maybe. Which which one is more transpersonal? Like, you would say, "Oh no, it's more transpersonal to say the ising because why?" Any thoughts of that? I, no. I don't know if I would say I doubt that because I would say that the the world the, the quadrant the world of forms, it, it is it, it is like. Okay, yeah, there there is things, but you're saying no, there is no thing, but at the same time there is a thing, and and, and that's the beauty of it, the contradictions. And 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 that's the danger with like the say oh everything is inging or like a verb, well then you you memorize that and then that becomes like a, an ideology of. Uh, now, now you're caught up in in that notion as if you, and and now you're not necessarily with the truth. Like any thoughts that? Yeah, that's certainly possible if you believe it. But also, in the same time, there's not, nothing wrong with belief. Like, okay, yeah, there, there's an aspect of belief, and you say, oh, you believe it. Okay, now you're attached to it and stuff. And okay, but at the same time, what if there's a true belief? You know, to to, to be against belief, sometimes you know, belief as a as a protective enclosure as an infrastructure of the second quadrant that help to, to solidify and help to. Yeah. Yeah. It serves a useful function. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Any other thoughts? Sir? No. That's probably about enough for today. Didn't you say you're going to do a little bit more today? Yeah, we did. Oh yeah. doesn't no okay can we can we just do like uh just 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 listen to what the impeccable means really quick okay impeccable means without sin but let's just talk about sin and sinners and what it really means that you do it's fading out right doesn't no it's fading out i couldn't hear that that should be enough then. But yeah, does it? Okay. Uh, no. Yeah.